Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We're excited about another episode. And Bubba, you will not believe this, and we planned it this way uh, because of our guest. This is Rick and Bubba University podcast number 50. 5 Can you believe it? Uh, and, and you know, and I did some work. I talked to David Platt. I said, look, we want you to be our 50th episode. <laughs> no, that, that did not happen. It just happened to work out. But David Platt is our guest. David is lead pastor at McLean uh, Bible Church in Washington, D.C. And uh, you haven't been – how long have you been at, uh, at uh, McLean Baptist? How long have you been there, David? I've been pastor here for uh, like three years. Yeah, I knew it was. It had been uh, you know relatively recent. Um, and we're today we're going to talk about this book, which is extremely timely. Before you vote, seven questions every Christian should ask. So um, uh, he starts out, Bubba, in the book about this story. When I guess how long have you been at McLean Bible Church when this happened? So uh, this was about a year and a half ago. So about a year and a half in. Uh, so Rick, before we get into that, David, I must say everyone at Brook Hill said to tell you hello. Uh, we were honored to have you as our pastor for a season, and uh, we, we miss you. Holler at us when you get back down this way. Well, I, I miss that church. Love the brothers and sisters of Brook Hills like more than words can express. So, Well, we're, we're praying for you, and we're proud of you, brother. Well, and I right. guess I need to weigh in, too, because David and I used to have this special time every year at Career Day at Spain Park High School, <laughs> and they would put our booths side by side. Uh, I had friends who had, uh, you know, their their kids went there. And they'd ask me if I would do Career Day at Spain Park. Undoubtedly, you had the same, and we would end up by booth next to each other, and and feeling kind of left out because you know sometimes the students would find out what we were doing, yeah, and they would come over and they would think that uh, that I was the pastor and that David was the radio host. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did, we did that what about two or three years in a row. It was good. Yes, it was, I totally remember that, yeah. man. Well, let's talk about because uh, you uh, you you were at Brook Hills in, in Birmingham, and uh, you you've done uh, work uh, all over the country. You've been with the International uh, Mission uh, Board with IMB, and uh, and now your your last three years you've been there at McLean Bible Church in Washington D.C., the the capital. And so you start out this book, and we remember when this happened. We oh, yeah. we were on the show, you know, trying to uh, because I, it was a little bit surprising. I guess it shouldn't have been. Uh, how divisive that turned out to be, and you talked about what it was like to live it out. You're ready for a Sunday uh, at church, and kind of walk everybody through it that doesn't know that story when you start realizing that the president of the United States states wants to come into the church and y'all pray for him. Yeah, so just a, it was a normal Sunday. What I thought was going to be a normal Sunday. We <laughs> have three services in the morning, nine, eleven, and one. We were finishing up the one o'clock. Uh, and it was like almost to the end of the service and uh, I'm about to close things out. And I hear this voice calling me from backstage, one of our pastors, I come back there, he's standing there with a representative from the white house. And they said, uh, president Trump's on his way here. We'll be here in about five minutes and would like for us to pray for him on stage. And, uh, so yeah, we do, we do everything we can as a church, like to make sure, especially in, metro washington dc like jesus is the center of all we do not political candidates parties positions any like we we want to be focused around jesus and we have a lot of different people from different perspectives in our church so uh anyway i knew that this just immediately thought okay how are people gonna gonna see this but first timothy chapter two is what like dominated my mind like pray for leaders kings all over i positions mm-hmm. and so i said yeah we'll We'll pray for him. And so I 
bring him out on stage. Like, I mean, two minutes later, the president's there. I bring him out uh, and pray for him. And then he walks off stage. Well, immediately, like social media just starts lighting up and people like just saying, oh, so David Platt and McLean Bible Church supports everything the president says and does and this and people confused even in our church family. So I wrote a letter that we posted the next morning just explaining what had happened, uh, reiterating our desire to focus on Jesus and his word alone. Uh, talking about first Timothy two, how we pray for leaders, uh, which we do, uh, regardless of whether or not they're there. Um, and then that letter though, set off a whole nother level of social media firestorm because then people were saying that I had apologized for praying for the president, which I had not. Um, and then all these national news outlets are wanting to bring me on, which I didn't say yes to any of those. And it just, uh, wow, I sat back as people are going back and forth, not just at me, but each other. And I thought this like toxic political climate that we live in, the church is not immune to. Like well, there's a there's a real sickness here. And uh, we've got we've to make sure like our love for one another and focus on Jesus doesn't get lost in the toxicity of the political climate around us. So anyway, that's that was a year and a half ago. And part of why coming into this presidential election, I wanted to write this book to try to put that focus there for our church family and then hopefully for others who uh, might read it. I was, I've made the comment before, and Bubba's heard me say this, and, and there you were in the middle of it. When you start trying to be someone who is in vocational ministry or man, just a follower of Christ, because we're all called to ministry, but um, and you start trying to get into politics and try to do it, and in, in, in this book talks about this, the best way that you can in a fallen creation with world governments that God never intended, he just had to create because of our sin, and you talk about that in the book. But if Billy Graham couldn't do it, <laughs> then maybe none of us should try it. I, I mean, it, it, because he tried to get involved. I think we all hold Billy Graham in high regard that he finished well. Uh, he stayed out of controversy mostly, but when he got into controversy, it involved his attempt to get involved with presidential candidates. Uh, you know, he had the problem with Harry Truman, on uh, that Harry Truman got upset with him because they thought they staged a prayer that had already happened, and he regretted that as a young man. And then this thing with him and Nixon, it, it backfired on him. He thought he knew the man, and he really didn't. And so I sometimes think if Billy Graham can't do it, mm. We got to be very careful uh, about how we handle this because of what you said. Ultimately, we here we're here to advance the kingdom of God. And, and David, I like the theme of this because as Christians, um, you know, we the Bible's our owner's manual. It's where we go to. It's where we get our guidance. Where we get, uh, you know, how we discern things. And um, I, I think that the topic not only timely because of the election, but and we've had this discussion on the air with callers that. You know, uh, in the Bible, their interaction with the government, they never had a democracy. It was always, a, a, you know, a dictator, a Caesar, and they were very limited in what they could do and say anyway. But in a democracy where we do have a lot of freedom, and it's a blessing, I feel like, um, how, how, does, how does that manifest itself in, in 2020? Well, that's, that's one of the things I dive into in the first chapter of this book, because, I mean, for that very reason, we don't have, like, biblical instructions about how to participate in a democratic election. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't even have a biblical command to vote, because 
I mean, voting did not exist right. in the first century and the, the history of the Old Testament like we see. So, but we do see, so what I kind of walk through is we, we have like a, we have a clear biblical responsibility to steward grace God's given us for the good of others and for his glory. And so I would call voting and the voice we have a, a grace, like what an opportunity that we get mm -hmm. to play a part in who leads us and how laws are made by those who lead us and how laws are carried out. So, so how do we steward that grace with this unique opportunity that our yeah, brothers and sisters in the first century didn't have that our brothers and sisters in North Korea right now don't have that, right. that we have an opportunity to steward a voice and a vote in this way. So how do we do that? for the good of others and how do we do that for the glory of god and in all truth we may not have in the future either well that's so, true you know as as things deteriorate but david kind of give us the the seven issues a little bit uh, to talk about i mean are, are you talking about checking boxes how, how are you how are you breaking this down in the book well basically i mean what i'm what i'm after at the end of the book is is and i and i try to be really clear from the very beginning that my aim is not to promote one candidate or party. And some, I know, some followers of Jesus wish I would, like, speak out against this candidate or speak out against this party. Um, but what I try to do is just point people to, to Scripture, to God's Word, because that's where I don't want to speak where God hasn't spoken. And so, so how do we let God's Word guide us toward what well, my aim is by the end of asking these seven questions that, people would have deeper love for Jesus than they did at the beginning and trust in Jesus. And that's, that's part of like the second question, like who has my heart that we would not be looking at political candidates or parties to put our hope in them. Right. Like we, there's only one who can satisfy our souls and provide for what we need. And, uh, and even in an election where we can be like worried if this happens, that's, if this person gets elected, that's going to happen. Or if that person gets elected, this is going to, like, we don't have to worry about anything. Not when Jesus is our hope, like we don't have to worry about a thing. He he's not up for election. He's he's in control. <laughs> he's already won. Well, we yeah. we yeah, we talked to a caller about that very thing. It's interesting you said that on the show today. We're going to continue this very important conversation with David Platt. Uh, the new book is called Before You Vote: Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. When we continue on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. So we're talking with David Platt. He, he has put the book out. He's authored other books before this, Radical, Radical Together, Follow Me, Counterculture, Something Needs to Change, also the volumes in the Christ-Centered uh, uh, Commentary series where you, you're doing expository teaching through books of the Bible. All these things are available, and you can find those. But I, I want to talk about this because you have these seven questions, and, and here they are. Does God call me to vote? We talked about that. Who has my heart? We talked about that, not forgetting that, you know, Jesus is not up for election. Uh, what does my neighbor need? Uh, what is the Christian position? How do I weigh the issues? Am I eager to ma maintain unity in the church? So how do I vote? Again, those of you that think you're going to pick up the book and say, whoo, David Platt has finally told me how to vote, <laughs> that you're, you're not going to have that. Uh, but what he's trying to do in the book, and, and I've, I've read uh, a little over half of it, and I see where you're going because I've been going through the same thing. I think as Christians, and we will not find a constitutional republic, and we will not find, well, this is what verse so-and-so, so-and-so says about voting in a constitutional republic. You're not going to find that. However, and you do this in the book, we can go to what the Bible has said about worldly governments, where they came from, 
Why did God create them? Uh, Romans 13 gives you an idea of what the role of the government is according to God. Second uh, Peter, we're actually doing a Bible study on that right now. We just talked about this two days ago. Uh, he says, here's how we respond to the emperor. And, this, and he's talking about, don't forget, Peter is talking about the very emperor who's going to martyr him. Uh, and, and, and he's talking about how we behave on these authorities that he says God placed there, that Paul says God placed there. Uh, and so I think we can at least, as you're trying to do with the book, educate ourselves on the role of worldly government. And, and so I think, David, help us. Where is that? And I know you, I'm not asking you to be detailed, but in general, we're walking this line, if you're a Christian, a follower of Christ, by saying we belong to his kingdom. He says his kingdom is not of this world. He says go pay the tax um, uh, because they're the ones who need it. Whose picture is on this? Go give to Caesar what is Caesar, but you give to God what is God's. And then he, he, is, he is going along saying, you know, well, who, who, do, you, do, do the emperors, do the, do the tyrants, do they take the taxes from their sons or do they take it from the, the rest of it? Well, they take it from us. Well, do, well, okay, you belong to God. So go give them what they're asking for because you're not their son, you're God's son. So we see those things, and you almost get to the point where you're like, well, does it even matter? But, but, but that's not the right attitude either. either. Well, how do we balance these two, two of knowing that God is – I love this statement. I heard Tony Evans say this. He said, some of you don't want to live in a theocracy. I'm sorry you do because uh, God is, is, is in a theocracy over the whole world. Right. Uh, but, but tell us how do we balance this kingdom is not of this world, though when Jesus walked out of the tomb, the kingdom of God is now – but not yet, already, but not yet. Uh, so how do we balance that? What, what, what is our response to the worldly government? Yeah, uh, that's a ton there. And I, I appreciate even the way, Rick, as you were diving into that, um, like this is what we want to be informed as followers of Jesus in particular. Uh, what does God say about government, how we should perceive government? The, the best, the simplest way I could summarize, I'm actually preaching through First Peter right now, that I would summarize it is to see ourselves. And so how to keep that balance is to see ourselves. Yes. By God's grace and under God's sovereignty as citizens of this country, but ultimately citizens of another country, which means we are foreigners here. That's the language first Peter one, two uses two 11 and 12. Like we're exiles, strangers, foreigners in a country of picture as much as we are thankful for so much in our country, we need to realize we're foreigners here. Ultimately, we belong to another country, Philippians chapter three, our citizenship is in heaven and that changes the way we live in this country. So for all the, in all the ways we've talked about already, even we, we don't put our hope ultimately in this country. We'll put our hope in our King, a country to come, not in a president in this country. Um, but we want to live for the good of people in this country, ultimately for the sake of this country to come. We want the love of God to be known through our lives. We want to care for people well. So that's going to lead us to get involved in issues that even before their political issues are biblical issues, whether it's abortion or marriage or care for the poor, like these, but far before their political issues, this is what God has called us to, to think and act according to his word on these issues. And then that affects the way we interact in this country and the political sphere with our eyes always set on the country to come. So let's get real specific. And, and if it's unfair to say that's, that's unfair, but, but I think this is where people find themselves. And I'm talking to myself here. Hmm. So I look at the political parties and I say, I'm going to align myself with God because that's my ultimate as best I can. 
in a fallen creation with a fallen and perfect government. That, uh, and the government is not the church. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I don't expect the government to do the job of the church. I think we've made a mistake with that sometimes, saying, well, the government should go and take care of widows, and the government should go and take care of the poor, and the government should go and take care of orphans, when God said, no, I told the church to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, but, so I see over here, God's clear, and I had a different view of this before I, uh, before I was redeemed, that life begins in the womb. It, the Bible is clear on this. Science has come to support this as well. So that's, that's not even up for debate. I know where life begins according to Scripture and God's creation. Not up for debate. I know God's standard for marriage. It's not up for debate. It's established in Genesis chapter 2, and it never changes. I know what God has to say about gender. It's not up for debate. But I also know what God says about a lot of other things. And, and forgive me for trying to simplify this. Sometimes I feel like that I get caught in a playoff of biblical standards and that some hold more weight than others because you're never going to find a political party that is perfectly aligned under the authority of the Bible. How do I go about that? And I'm not saying you to come down and say vote for this, this party or the other because I know you don't want to be in that position and, and you've got, you don't need to be in that position up in the pulpit, okay? Because it's, it's, sometimes it can be too divisive. You already found that out by just praying over whoever the president was. Which, by the way, the people, if we know Scripture, the minute you did that, we should have said, we all know he should be doing this because we're told to do it, no matter what party this president yeah. represents. Right. But anyway, that's another day, and you've defended that. What do I do with this playoff of biblical standards? Uh, because... Because they're 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 or, everywhere. Or box checking. Yeah. How do you how do you work your way? And I think that? a lot of people are very confused about that. Well, that's that's so what I'm trying to do in this book right. is help people process through exactly that. Like there are all these issues. So let's look at and I mean particularly in a presidential election, there are so many different issues. You name some of them and then you yeah, there's so many others. So to really think through, okay, how does the Bible speak to each of these issues? And then Part of the nature of being in a two-party system where we've got you got two choices and in that neither choice and i'm not even saying both are on equal ground i'm just saying neither choice is perfect neither choice has a monopoly on justice and goodness and righteousness whether in candidates or positions in a party so we've got to look at all these issues and then we're going to make a decision where there's inevitably going to be uh trade-offs uh competing injustices if i vote this way then i'll i'll i feel like i'll be supporting something that i don't love and over here but if i vote this way i'll be supporting something and so then we have to at some point come down on how are we going to weigh those issues and one of the things i'm really zealous to do in this book is to help people see like genuine followers of jesus are going to end up like this is a complicated process are going to end up weighing those issues slightly differently or maybe significantly different, all holding on to the Bible, but trying to weigh those issues in different ways. And so that we would guard our hearts and make sure we're not saying, well, every Christian should weigh these issues exactly like I weigh these issues. Like every Christian should believe the things you just mentioned about what the Bible says, where God has spoken. Yes, we're together on that. But then how to put that into practice in an election like this, uh, that's where different Christians are going to have some different conclusions. And We've got to know how to love each other and really experience a countercultural unity in the church in the middle of this that just doesn't make sense to the world. That's what I love about even our church family. Like there are people 
who with, with some different political perspectives, who totally embrace the Bible and everything God has been clear on, who, who make some different political calculations, and they're together, like in community, sharing the gospel together, serving in the city together, and, and it doesn't make sense in the climate in Metro Washington, D.C., for these two people to be side by side. The only reason it makes sense is because Jesus has died on a cross, risen from the grave, and his spirits in both of them and has united them together. That's that's what we're after in the church, not. So so as we make those decisions to make sure we're not uh, legislating or saying everybody should weigh this exactly like I do. David, let me, let me ask you this. And again, you may not want to answer this directly, but there's a lot of people um, that have a primary issue that they choose their election on, and that is the abortion issue. Mm-hmm. And if people feel strongly about it and they can back it up with Scripture, as you heard earlier, what is wrong with them making that their primary issue? Is there a problem with that? I don't, I don't, I would not say there's a problem with that. I would say that is one way a follower of Jesus can look at, like, and take 50 issues in election. And even if 49 uh, issues align with another candidate and this candidate was aligned with what the Bible teaches about abortion, they'd say, I'd, I'd go right here. I, I think that's t- totally possible for a follower of Jesus to do this, especially when you think about the severity of abortion and the number of lives that are affected every single day by it. So there is, I think that's definitely possible. Now, where I think it's unhelpful is to say, so then every Christian who cares about abortion should weigh the issues that, that way. And so, but I I think that's, that's totally possible. And it's totally possible for others to say, I believe that what the Bible says about abortion. And I, I weigh that really heavily. I also weigh this issue over here really heavily and this is one of the things walked through in the book, even not just what does the Bible say, but what are the practical consequences of that? So here's an example. I, I actually had a conversation with somebody recently here in uh, Northern Virginia, Metro DC, who would would classify themselves as, um, so what I'm about to say, I'm gonna, I'll just go ahead and put it out there is kind of controversial. I'm not saying that everybody should believe this. This is a genuine follower of Jesus. Right, so right. having this conversation with, he is passionately pro-life as every follower of Jesus should be for children in the womb, um, according to God's word. Now, he actually believes that, and, and he would call himself kind of a one-issue voter on that issue. Right. Um, it's that important. At the same time, he told me he's planning to vote for uh, Joe Biden. And I said, okay, now help me help me process this. I just right. want to understand. Right. And he said that he, in, in his calculation, uh, he believes that uh, the rhetoric and approach of president trump and kind of the direction he's taking the republican party is unhelpful in the long term for republican party and for the pro-life cause and he he would point to an example like in the midterm elections here in northern virginia um this last time around the whole legislature went democratic governor the whole legislature is democratic and there have been sweeping measures that they've made to make abortion more accessible more abortions happening as a result in virginia yeah and that, he thinks that governor's been on the news quite a bit <clears throat> yes right yeah. so and he's made quite the statements and so uh so this person is saying i think he, he thinks that's a response to the direction president trump has led the republican party so he thinks there are more abortions happening in virginia as a result of 
the way President Trump has led, that's what's leading him even to be zealously pro-life to vote for for uh, Joe Biden. Now, again, I'm not saying, OK, that's a position everybody should take by any means. I'm saying that's that's even a way where a follower of Jesus who would say this is like my primary issue might even still come to a different conclusion. Uh, and I, I'm not going to question this person like I'm going to have good discussion with that person about, OK, let's uh, let's let's kind of go back and forth some on this. But I'm not going to say you don't love Jesus or you don't believe the Bible or you don't care about children in the womb. I think he genuinely does. And this is his attempt to try to try to put that into practice. So does that make sense? Like the way no, no, I, I, follow, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. I, I'm having a little trouble following his logic, because if well, you if you end up with with Biden as president and uh, a, a Senate that would be more to the Democratic side, you're you're going to have judges appointed that that, you know, make decisions that's going to affect that issue for 30, 40 years. So I, I guess I have a little problem with that logic, but I understand what you're saying. About yeah, no, no, what, what you're saying <laughs> is a legit point, I would say, and a good conversation to be had yep. at the same time where I guess my point is that I've, I'm seeing it become unhealthy when I see rhetoric uh, in the church that's saying, or among Christians that's saying that that guy can't actually love Jesus. Right. That, uh, uh, and so it starts to become a test of orthodoxy, how you right. uh, come down on that, which I don't, I don't think uh, is helpful. I know what you're saying. I, I am glad that the thousand year reign and, and, you know, God's kingdom will not be a democracy, <laughs> even though as much as I love it now, I'm kind of glad that yeah. some of this is going to be settled. A you know what I mean? A benevolent dictator is actually <laughs> yeah. a good thing. Yeah. No question. Like, oh man, after watching, uh, like debate, like the, the next morning, oh, my quiet time, I, and there was so much tension I was experiencing in debate. And then my time with the Lord, like there was so much rest. Yeah. So oh, and him. So let me, and then we'll come back. But I want to, I think just to summarize what you said, because I, I want everybody to understand exactly what you were saying. Yes, we could question the man's devotion if he didn't believe that life began where God said it did. He's just going about a strategy that we can question whether it's a good strategy. Right. right. But you're saying, but we're not to question his redemption. You yeah. know, because he's not saying that, that life doesn't start in the womb, he just no. thinks there's a different strategy to accomplish less of that going on. Uh, and we may agree or disagree with the strategy, but he's not denouncing God in the process. That's right. That's exactly right. Because, like, that's where if he was saying, like, yeah, I, I, I don't believe abortion's a big deal, right. or like, that's right. a whole other conversation. Like, because right. that the Bible is clear on. Correct. Like, how how to strategize along these lines? The Bible is not clear on, and so we don't want to take that step to say you are not following God because you right. you're thinking differently about this and that's where i think this sets us up for a deeper unity in the body of christ because we realize our unity is not around political calculations our unity is around jesus and his word like that's a that's a strong foundation for unity instead of just finding unity around political calculations and then adding jesus onto it all right, we're going to continue our conversation with David Platt when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. So we're talking to David Platt. Uh, he has written the book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask. And he, he started writing this book after he went through, uh, you know, a time that the president showed up at his church, uh, McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C., and asked to be prayed over. He presented scripturally why they were going to pray over the president. And wow, 
uh, it it really turned out to be quite divisive. And so he wrote uh, the the book not what well, not long after that, right? You started working on this book because you found out that the political views of even the church body, sadly, are quite divisive. Um, so so what you looking at the the questions we're, we're asking? Am I eager? This is question six, and that's what we hit on when, before we took this break. Am I eager to maintain unity in the church? And I think that's where we were in this conversation you're talking about. It's We need in the church to say, all right, does everybody, do we all agree on what the Bible says about fill in the blank? That's what we need to make sure we all agree on. Now, we may disagree on how you politically think all that can play out under this fallen government. But what we can't do is say, my political views are so strong they're stronger than my devotion to Scripture. And, and I think those are the conversations we need to have in the church body, not if you've got an RRD, now we make a, we make a decision on your redemption. And it happens both ways. I, I know Democrats that claim Republicans can't be Christians. I know Republicans say Democrats can't be Christians. Uh, and they have the legitimate you know, questions about that. But I think we touched on something a moment ago, but what if that person biblically – 100% believes that God's word speaks to this, and they agree with that. Uh, and that's that's what we need to find out. Now, if we want heresy in the church, then, yeah, we, we can all come together and say we can't have heresy in the church. But political voting sometimes doesn't always equal heresy, and that's kind of what it, you were talking it, about. David, is it? do you think the approach of what you're talking about is, I, I guess if I have a conflict with someone, I have two approaches. One, I want to totally destroy them. Or two, I want to convince them to my line of thinking and befriend them. Is that what we're trying to accomplish? How do we keep unity in the church? Well, I think uh, one, the, the first option you mentioned, that's like the name of the game today. Like demonize oh, yeah. other people. Cancel them. Caricature, cancel all those things. Like, so that's, and that's what I saw happening even like, yeah, in response to praying for the president on stage in, in the church. Like, and it's just like, this is not the way God's designed us to relate to anybody in the world especially in the family the body of christ and so so it's definitely not demonized and and uh caricature people uh and yes i think i would say the, the way i would put it maybe a little different like the the command is love one another mm-hmm. which involves listening to each other respecting each other uh caring for each other um and and in the in the example we were using before the break like i, I i'm picturing I mean, any conversation, uh, I take, take you, for example, Bubba, you're having a conversation with that brother in Christ. You're saying, Hey, but what about this? And thinking about this and you're, you're feeling pretty strong potentially, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but potentially that that's not a wise way to think about this. Like that's a really good conversation for brothers in Christ to have, to really listen to each other, to where we understand each other in the process. Maybe one is persuaded by the other, maybe not. In the end, our unity in Christ is not undercut in the process. Like that's where one of the things I talk about in the book is there's actually increasing research that people choose their politics and then choose church instead of church kind of driving political views. Now, obviously, there's one sense in which everybody who believes the Bible is going to have a political understanding that's very different from those who don't believe the Bible, but even more narrow that, uh, there, it's just much more like people, there's research that shows people don't want to sit next to somebody in a pew who's going to think differently about some of these calculations. And I think we're missing out 
on something there. If we're dividing from each other when it comes to the church over things that God has not said to divide over. Again, come back to, and right. I just want to emphasize this over and over again, especially as we've talked about an issue like abortion. Like we're not talking about like some vague flimsy unity that just says, believe what you want to believe mm -hmm. about right. yeah. abortion. Like we're, we're talking about holding fast to the Bible and trying to apply it in this world and on that issue and many others and how do we best do that like we're gonna have differences but that's not what our unity is based on you know we've kind of lost the art and this was i know yes. when i was growing up we would have friends that we were absolutely in disagreement on an issue and we would just say we're going to agree to disagree and we would go on to lunch you know, and and find something in common. Not anymore. You know, we might agree to disagree on football teams, but we're still going to be friends. We're still going to work together on other things. But it it's just lost right now, isn't it? It is black and white, yay or nay, good or evil. I mean, there is no compromise right now. Yes, there's a, a lot of back and forth. One of the illustrations I, I've used in our church family is, like, if my family was sitting around and we were, like, talking about what's your favorite dessert, uh, you're not going to say to me, don't, don't talk about your favorite dessert. That's going to divide your family. Cause this person's going to like this. This, And I'd, I'd look at you and say, it's not going to divide our family. Our family's not based on dessert. That's not what makes us a family. So now I want to, I, I'm trying to be careful with that illustration because I'm not saying like your, your view on this or that political party is, I mean, it's more important than your view on dessert. At the same time, this is where some people say, don't talk about politics or some of these issues among brothers and sisters in Christ because you don't want to divide. And that's when I would look back and say, well, the, that's actually not what unites us. Like the Bible's what unites us. Love for Jesus is what unites us. Desire to make his, his, his salvation known in the world. That's what unites us together. And again, not a flimsy unity. Like we believe what the Bible says, um, but what unites us is not how we... Uh, apply the Bible. Like, think about uh, another issue: immigration. Like, clearly, God's care for the sojourner we see all throughout Scripture. Right. At the same time, we don't see specific policy uh, directives in Scripture about how many citizens to let into a country and what that process of citizenship should look like and how to fix what's been done in the past. Like, so Christians are going to agree to disagree on some of those things, but we are. We all care for the sojourner. Like that's yeah. that's what the Bible tells us to of do. Of course. And so keep coming back to that's what I'm just zealous for. Keep coming back to what the Bible is clear on and then listen to and love one another and work together, even knowing there's gonna be some disagreements on things where the Bible's not clear. But we do see heaven has a, a wall and a gate. Yeah. Well, but how you apply? And, and Nehemiah, how you apply? And Nehemiah said, yeah. "We got to get this thing built back." But but right. but but I but I go I go back to this though. But to the point on that, because what I've seen, and it's the thing that, and I'm you, you know the word for it. I can't think of the word for it. What is the word for it? When I try to force what I want Scripture to say on Scripture, as opposed to letting what Scripture what I'm going to say rise out of Scripture. There's a word. That's like it. You're That's reading it. Into scripture, your own thoughts. That's yeah. it. But I've heard people use the sojourner thing, which I totally agree with. You know why? Because it's in the Bible. But then they'll try to take that to say that means there should be no walls, no borders. Everybody should just go and come where they want to. And I'm like, eh, that, that's not what it means. Now, we need to agree that we should not mistreat the sojourner and that we should love the sojourner. But then we also have to have some logical common sense things to say, I'm not having a vetting process to come into a country because I hate you. 
I'm having a vetting process that we all need to agree on. Can we do immigration better? Yes. Do we need to find a better way to have people immigrate to this country? Yes. A smoother way, uh, sometimes a more loving way? Yes. But it doesn't mean that we now just say, everybody go wherever you want to go, because that's chaos. And, and you know, and it's, it's reasonable to vet people coming in to make sure that they don't mean harm to, to the country that they're entering. That, that's not anti-sojourner. That's just common sense. But some people try to take that scripture and say, well, this means there can't be immigration. You can't have a lock on your door. You everybody just needs to go wherever they want to go. And we have to be careful because if we're going to use scripture, we need to be sure we use it correctly. That's exactly right. Like that's that's one of the things in chapter four in this book. Like, what is the Christian position? I, I what I'm after there is to like, let's make sure we right. only use that language. Like the Christian position is when the Bible has spoken clearly to that. So right. the Christian position is care for the sojourner. Yes, yes. You, but don't don't finish that sentence with the Christian position is no borders uh, or no wall or or wall or right. yeah. this or that like that's where different christians are going to have different ideas on what's the best way to care for our neighbors including the sojourner like all kinds of different and good discussions and that's where i would say like there's a sense in which we're we're maybe prone to be like i don't even want to talk about these things because it just gets into yeah. uh, back and forth but if we love our neighbors as ourselves if we want to care for the sojourner we're going to have conversations about this and we're going to be Involved in these conversations, one in the church, like to your point from earlier, like how are we going to care for the sojourners in our midst uh, and around us in the cities where we are um, as a church? So we need to be having those conversations. And then to the extent with which we're involved in, in the you know, political discussion around us, how can we do this for the good of country, in our country, for the good of sojourners and for the good of our country and for neighbors yeah, there's so many different things that start to come like these are healthy conversations they're going to have as long as they're driven by scripture but not uh like you said taking scripture to places where god has not spoken specifically david uh, tell us a little bit about your church do you do you have other elected officials attend uh judges i mean I, i'm sure you have your share of that there's a lot of uh political jobs in that area uh, and, and makeup. I mean, how how is your church far as as you would say maybe uh, Democrat, Republican, or more conservative or liberal in their thought process politically? Yeah, pol- I, politically. I would say we de- we definitely have. I mean, different leaders, whether it's uh, senators, cabinet members. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's not been uncommon for the Secret Service to to be over here on the side and uh, part of our gathering um with a particular official for a particular leader and then all kinds of aides then all kinds of lobbyists and i mean mm-hmm. people who yeah. are working in the political sphere then on top of that a lot of military so a lot of people who are connected with government in different ways uh and then even people uh, uh press uh different people who are involved in uh different news networks so i would say that we have i i guess the way i would describe it is we have people who I trust, like, believe the Bible. And so that in and of itself yeah. is going to put us more in one category sure. on a lot of different issues. Right, right. And those who don't right. believe the Bible. So that that's going to put us in that category. But among those, these Bible-believing brothers and sisters, there are both Republicans and Democrats and independents, I would add there. Um, so people who would identify with all three of those and uh and whose calculations as they try to apply the bible uh lead them to some different conclusions so i we definitely have 
Uh, I was talking with somebody who leads one of our groups there uh, just last week, and they were talking about these two people in the group who are polar opposite, but <laughs> both have been saved by God's grace. Both of them love the word of God or trying to apply it. And, uh, and they experience like deep community with each other. That's, that's what I love. Like it's a kind of community that can only be explained by Jesus. It doesn't make sense in Washington, D.C. otherwise. David Platt's with us. We'll come back and we'll wrap it up uh, on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. So talking to David Platt, uh, he uh, serves as a lead pastor at McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, he has the book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions That Every Christian Should Ask. Uh, does God call me to vote? Who has my heart? What does my neighbor need? What is the Christian position? How do I weigh the issues? Am I eager to maintain unity of the church? So how do I vote? We, we've skimmed almost every one of those, but you want to go deeper, obviously, with the book. And, and I think what, at the end of it, the parts that I have read, and I'm not completely done with it, but you know how you can kind of see where, where you're going. And it's a struggle for me. Uh, it's, it's probably one of my biggest struggles in the sanctification process. But, Bob, I think you can say there's been some progress. Is I, love to, I love to see, like, 1 Corinthians 16, 13, 14. Act like a man. Be watchful. You know, we're going to stand firm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, and let everything you do be done in love. Ah. <laughs> you know, and then, and then I, well, you're in. It's you're, a little bit against and, our nature. And, and, it, and yeah. now you're in First Peter, yeah. and you're going to see him. Be ready to give an account of your faith. Be ready to defend your faith. Yeah. Be sure you do it with all gentleness. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and, and so I think that's what you're saying. I mean, we can stand and, and we can even have disagreements but we are called to have a gentle spirit and to be sure our motivation is always love for the other person. And I struggle with that because, you know, as C.S. Lewis said, you don't really know the power of the Nazis by going along with them. You learn how powerful they were when you decided to go against them. And so when my spirit came alive, my flesh, you know, begins to fight for its life. And whichever one I feed, I seem to do, I seem <laughs> to do good if I feed my spirit and I seem to struggle if I feed the flesh, and this gentle spirit in doing everything with love is a supernatural thing that can only happen with Christ. Hmm. That's exactly right. Like, well said. And yes, that's, that's totally what after on, on, I think of two levels. One, certainly as the body of Christ, like with other believers uh, who, yeah, who love Jesus, like let's love one another well. That's what was really just heartbreaking, really in the response to just all kinds of back and forth after praying for the president on stage, like um, just the way people spoke to each other who are professing believers. And then all the more so for the world around us, like for people who are totally on the opposite end of the spectrum for where we are politically, who, um, who don't believe the Bible, who are against the Bible, who are against all kinds of things that the Bible speaks clearly on. Like we are to love them. And I mean, first Peter two seventeen, honor everyone yeah. that pretty much sums it up like everyone. And so how do, and, and, and this yeah, is I went to the original Greek there. Cause I thought, well, that can't be the right English word, <laughs> but I looked and it was everyone. You're right. But well, Rick, and, what you're saying is Rick, it's more fun to drive the Christian bulldozer. <laughs> I mean, well, that's sometimes, more fun. Sometimes. And there's a time for that. <laughs> there's a time for that. If we're and, going against evil, David, but not, not people. And David, it is hard at times because you, there, there's a point where you're, you're trying to keep unity and you end up tiptoeing, um, g- giving away the, the principles you believe in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for the sake of peace. Yeah. And, and that's the other side we fight. It, it's, a, it's a very hard place to be. It, it is for me. I'm just telling you, I struggle with it. 
Sure it is. Well, but I think, so this is where and I dive into this Romans 14 and 15 in, in chapter six, like, so let, let's never tiptoe when it comes to where God's word is spoken clearly. Right. Like let's, let's speak clearly with love, with compassion, with grace, but with truth. Like we don't tiptoe on those things. We don't just like strive for unity around anything but that word. But then, and this is what Paul's addressing in Romans 14 and 15, because you had people who had different convictions about what to eat or what holidays to celebrate. Right. And he said, let each person be fully convinced in his own mind, which is basically saying, like, have strong convictions about these things you disagree. I feel like that's counterintuitive. Like, I would expect him to say, just don't yeah, treat don't those worry as- about it. Yeah. Yeah. He said, actually, have strong convictions, even on things where you disagree. But realize in that, that you're not to disparage, quarrel with each other. You're to love each other, serve each other. Even he uses the word, please each other. And so this is where... Going back to where you started with this this whole part of the conversation, Rick, like that takes the spirit of Christ yeah, in us does. to bring that that's about. A supernatural, that's, that. that's a supernatural yeah. experience that only that's comes right. from God. Hey, David, thank you for taking time to be with us. That Good what, to see you, brother. It went by fast. We could have yeah, talked, we could talk for hours. Guys. So I hope you'll come back and visit with us. Keep uh, keep fighting the good fight. And if you want to go pick up the book, it's available wherever you, you get books. And before you vote, seven questions every Christian should ask. Thank you, David Platt, for taking time to be with us. And thanks to all of you that uh, have listened or watched this edition, Big 5 the 50th edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.